Welcome to the Rock Dev Publications podcast, The Quill. Have you ever killed anything you did not eat? And do you think you were justified in not eating what you killed? I remember a Tennessee hunter made this remark. He said, my daddy taught me, if you kill it, you eat it. Well, we'll be talking about that particular argument today. I eat everything I kill. I'll also be sharing from my book, Devotions for Hunters and Anglers. I think he will be encouraged. Your host has spent decades studying the Bible in the original languages. He holds degrees from the University of Wisconsin, Moody Bible Institute, Asbury Theological Seminary, and Bethel Theological Seminary. With the help of some of his friends, in 1994, Dr. Rako founded a national volunteer ministry to hunters. He is an author, dog trainer, and speaker. Tom served as a full-time pastor for 36 years. Now here is your host, Dr. Tom Rako. Doug was dirt poor, but suddenly he was admired by about every kid in our country school. He certainly did what very few of his classmates had ever accomplished during the noon recess. And best of all, Doug did what he did without a rod, reel, or even a simple fish hook. Yes, Doug caught a 16-inch trout out of Bear Creek with a bent-over safety pin and a few feet of fishing line, line he had borrowed from my older brother. You see, Doug's family was so poor, he didn't own a Zepco reel or any kind of fishing tackle. He didn't have much, but he used the little he had, and that's exactly what made Doug's feet so spectacular. After all, anyone can catch a rainbow or German brown on a regular pole, but to catch a nice trout on a safety pin and a little bit of line? Wow, why that's the stuff school legends are made of. The fact is, we get inspired and encouraged by situations in which the person with little is able to accomplish much. We like seeing the incredible or the seemingly impossible achieved, especially by unlikely candidates. There's something inside each of us that makes us want to root for the underdog. We rejoice when the underachiever overcomes. We admire the person who perseveres despite prolonged or overwhelming obstacles. We look up to people like Joseph in the Old Testament who, despite years of suffering, ends up being promoted in a single day from prison to prime minister of Egypt, Genesis 41. We are amazed at Samson who, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, is able to kill a thousand men with the fresh jawbone of a donkey, Judges 15. And we adore seeing an insignificant orphan girl by the name of Esther become queen over an enormous empire, Esther chapter 2. Certainly, we like to hear these kind of David and Goliath or rags to riches type stories. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 to 34, we're told about those who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. However, such triumphs aren't just found in the pages of our Bible. 
We have reminders all around us of individuals who have attempted the impossible or accomplished the incredibly unlikely. Some have credited God with their victory, others their own stubborn tenacity. Did you know that Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected by 27 publishers before it was finally accepted? Aren't you glad that Dr. Seuss, his real name was Theodore Seuss Geisel, didn't quit after number 26? And then there's the popular Chicken Soup for the Soul, which has sold millions and millions of copies in North America alone. Nevertheless, did you know that 33 publishers turned down the first book? That's right, 33. No doubt millions of readers are happy Jack Canfield and Victor Hansen didn't just give up. Today, there are powerful businesses which began in a crowded garage or once precariously teetered on bankruptcy. Many inventions that we now regularly use were previously laughed at or ignored. As a matter of fact, there was a time when every great invention, business, building, or ministry that we see today did not exist. How about you? Are you using what you have? Most importantly, are you using what you have for the glory of God? You see, doing what God wants us to do will always require a step of faith. You may feel entirely inadequate. But even though we may feel inadequate, the God we serve remains entirely adequate. Besides, it's nice to remember that some of the most spectacular feats have been accomplished by folks with a small safety pin and a little strand of fishing line. When we come back, we'll be looking at the argument, I eat everything I kill. Dr. Tom Rako has pulled together 60 hunting and angling devotionals. Every entry has a selected Bible passage to read and a story or personal experience tied into the scriptural point. Some of the titles for entries found in Devotions for Hunters and Anglers include Buck Fever, The Antlered Doe, Catfish Corner, Barnyard Buck, Rabbit Hunt Romance, The Prodigal Pooch, A Case of Pheasant Forensics, Once in a Lifetime Moose Hunt, and Grin and Bear It. You don't have to hunt or fish to enjoy this book. It's a great read for anyone, young or old. To order your copy of Devotions for Hunters and Anglers by Dr. Tom Rako, go to the Rock Dove Publications website, rockdove.com. Visit rockdove.com today. One hunting argument commonly used by hunters is, I eat everything I kill. However, as a friend of mine wisely remarked after hearing this statement, I hope not. She had quickly recognized the absurdity of such an all-encompassing remark. After all, most of us don't consume the flies we swat, the mosquitoes we slap, or skunks and squirrels we accidentally run over. Furthermore, it should be noted that the basic essence of this argument also restated and reaffirmed each time a sympathetic non-hunter tells a hunter something like, It's okay to hunt as long as you eat what you shoot. But is that really the case? And perhaps more importantly, is it actually practiced? Do hunters always eat what they kill? And what about non-hunters? Do they always practice what they preach? Anyone who's worked in a restaurant will testify that often large quantities of food are left on plates. Take, for example, the common 
car-deer collision. Every year, thousands of deer are hit and killed on our country's highways. Some road kills are claimed and immediately butchered by the motorist involved in the actual accident, or notification is given to an individual or group who has been placed on a car kill waiting list. It is true that some are mangled to the point that little of the deer can be salvaged for human use. However, each year, literally thousands of dead deer are purposely allowed to disintegrate on roadsides. Indeed, countless tons of valuable venison that could have been used to nourish families is left to rot in plain view of passing traffic. And what about the raccoons, possums, muskrats, sparrows, and even household pets that are accidentally run over each year? Have you eaten everything you have ever killed? Or have you ever noticed a neighbor scraping bugs or butterflies off the grill of their car in order to cook them for a meal? Simply stated, we don't eat everything we kill. Now, some will quickly point out that there is a significant difference between a mosquito and another kind of living, breathing creature such as a dog or a deer. Yet today, there exists a growing number of people who would, at least in theory, say there is actually no distinction. I say in theory in that I do not believe it is practical, rational, or even possible to view each and every creature on this planet equally. The fact is, everyone draws the line somewhere. Many environmental and animal rights activists, although they don't want to inwardly admit it, pay to fly in airplanes that suck small birds, endangered or otherwise, through enormous engines. These same planes, which transport activists to rallies, touch down on the same pavement that they would have, if possible, demonstrated against being laid due to the inevitable damage it would cause to flora and fauna. Then these same activists drive on blacktop or gravel roads to secluded wilderness areas to protest the cutting of trees or some other perceived destruction of a piece of habitat. However, many, if not all, of the very roads they travel on and enjoy, the activists would have, if they had been given an opportunity to do so, would have violently protested against being constructed. Yet this obvious hypocrisy, for the most part, remains hidden from their own eyes. You see, if we honestly put the same value on all creatures, then life would be complete and utter chaos. We would never have a picnic on the grass, nor walk through a forest for fear of crushing bugs and other tiny creatures. Rodents and cockroaches would rule our kitchen cupboards, and other insects would infest our floors and furniture. People who live in places like Minnesota, where there are frequently large hatches of mosquitoes, would need to adopt a philosophy of life like that of an early monk by the name of Macarius. Regarding Macarius, it's reported that he was so penitent for having killed a mosquito that he lived six months in a swamp, allowing himself to be stung by insects. Does this sound like the type of spiritual life to which you would, you would like to be committed to? It seems to me that Macarius had a few unresolved issues. Yet some, who are quite sheltered from the reality of life in the outdoors except for periodic planned excursions, want to impose their own unproven theories and philosophies upon others. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I firmly believe hunters have a divine responsibility to utilize game that has been harvested and must therefore do everything in their power so as not to waste wildlife. This is directly borne out by a principle found in Proverbs 
The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. Nevertheless, the point is that the hunter who claims I eat everything I kill as being less than honest. In the Bible, we find that those who harvested animals and birds in the Holy Land were forbidden by the Mosaic Law from eating the blood of any creature, Leviticus 17, verses 13 and 14. In modern times, most hunters don't consume the hide, hooves, and entrails, nor does a non-hunter who holds up the necessity to eat all that one has killed faithfully practice what they preach. This human standard, although perhaps honorable, desirable, and well-intentioned, actually has no direct biblical basis for support. When we come back, I'll be making some concluding remarks regarding this argument, I eat everything I kill. Hunting Miracles Ancient and Modern contains true stories of how God has worked in the lives of hunters down through history. This unique work, edited by Dr. Tom Rako, contains true stories by nine different contributors. In Hunting Miracles, readers discover miracles that took place on hunts more than a thousand years ago. See how God has used deer, ducks, geese, and even wood ticks to reveal his power and presence. Be encouraged by how the prayers of desperate hunters have been answered in amazing ways. To order your copy of Hunting Miracles, go to the Rock Dove Publications website at rockdove.com. Again, to get your copy of Hunting Miracles, be sure and visit rockdove.com. Well, we've been looking at the pro-hunting argument, I eat everything I kill. And the primary flaw with using this argument is that such a statement has no clear basis in Scripture. Instead, it actually establishes and encourages an artificial and unrealistic standard. Now, while it's important that hunters be wise stewards of the game that the Lord allows them to harvest, this does not automatically make the behavior acceptable in the eyes of God. For example, it would normally be considered wrong to kill an endangered species or to kill a game animal out of season. You can go to prison. Uh, one could ask, how, how much of a creature must first be consumed before it's considered eaten? Must the fur, feathers, or fins also be digested? You know, such an artificial standard is ultimately shown to be limited by basic common sense and clear biblical support. Hunters are to obey the authorities that exist. The Book of Romans tells us that. And the fact is there are laws against wanton waste. Uh, wanton waste is a crime. For example, when it comes to hunting migratory birds, not only do you have to have a license and you can use only certain types of uh, shells, but uh, if you would wound a bird, uh, you have a responsibility to do everything you can to retrieve that bird. In fact, one state website warns, no person shall kill or cripple any migratory game bird without making a reasonable effort to retrieve the bird and retain it in his or her actual custody. Well, there is much more we could uh, say, but I uh, want to thank you for joining us here today. And I hope that you will join us again next time here on the Rock Dove Publications, The Quill. And we'll be looking at another hunting argument.
You've been listening to the Rock Dove Publications podcast with your host, Dr. Tom Ranko. This program has also been brought to you by The Quilted Arrow, home of intelligent, stylish, field-bred English pointers with bloodline streams from Hall of Fame champion Guardrail. Thank you so much for listening. Now this is Beth Rako inviting you to join us again next time on the Rock Dove Publications podcast. <laughs>